Gerritsen and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. We are back with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Gerritsen and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them been doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area in Northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 150 Metcalf in Overland Park, or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And if you call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift, Kim and her team will give you a free $10 gift card to Starbucks to use on whatever you would like. Coffee, tea, breakfast items, it's your $10. All you got to do is call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift. And again, that number is 913-649-2002. Again, 913-649-2002. The regular season is officially wrapped up in college basketball. The seating is set for the Big 12 tournament that will begin on Wednesday night from top to bottom. It'll be the Kansas Jayhawks with the number one seed in a bye in the first round. Texas will also get a bye in that first round. They are the two seed. Kansas State completely overachieving their preseason expectations, which was to finish last place. They are the three seed in the Big 12 tournament. Baylor gets the four seed. TCU the five seed. Iowa State the six. Oklahoma State the seven. West Virginia the eight. Texas Tech the nine. Oklahoma the ten. Now, if I'm not mistaken, in the way this bracket all shakes down, the first round, which will begin on Wednesday night, will feature the 7, 8, 9, and 10 seeds, which means it'll be Oklahoma State in a rematch at the Bedlam, or the, yeah, the Bedlam Series, excuse me, against Oklahoma and West Virginia going up against Texas Tech. So Oklahoma State and Oklahoma will play for a chance to go and have a round three matchup with Texas. West Virginia and Texas Tech will battle it out to see who goes on to play Kansas. As for the other matchups, which will all take place on Thursday, honestly, the best day of the Big 12 tournament is easily Thursday. It's just all-day basketball down at the T-Mobile Center, so be sure to go on down there. We'll actually be broadcasting live, not this show, but Sports Radio 810 will be broadcasting live. I'll be doing my show live there on Wednesday night and then also on Saturday morning uh, from 10 to 12. But for some of those other games on Thursday, it'll be Kansas State playing TCU for seemingly the fifth time in the last five seasons. It feels like Kansas State never avoids playing TCU in the Big 12 tournament. Well, there will be another matchup and a round three matchup between these two programs. Will be very interesting to see this round three matchup because when they met first time around in Fort Worth, Kansas State got to play TCU without Mike Miles. It was a much more banged-up TCU team. I don't think Eddie Lampkin played that many minutes either. And in that first meeting, they, of course, had Mike Miles and a healthy Eddie Lampkin. Kind of the same deal here in round three. TCU, despite losing to Oklahoma, which you just never can really put your finger on TCU. I want to say they are a top-three team when healthy in the Big 12, but they lost by 14 to Oklahoma on Saturday. Maybe that's just looking at the the end of the regular season. You're not going to do much to help your seeding. Maybe you just weren't ready to play in that game. It was an early game. I can't really put my finger on it, but that TCU team is still wildly talented. They won 20 games this year, and it could have been a lot more if they were healthy all year long. But it'll be Kansas State taking on TCU. How about this matchup, too? Baylor and Iowa State. These two teams just met over the weekend in Waco, and another shock to me, another early tip-off And the Bears lose by 15 to Iowa State, who just dismissed Caleb Grill from their program and had been on a recent losing streak. And it was a Baylor team that had just knocked off, I want to say, wasn't it Texas before that? Oklahoma State and Texas. Okay, so they won in Stillwater by six and then beat Texas uh, the Saturday before uh, this weekend. So a week ago, they had knocked off the Longhorns. So Baylor was on a two-game winning streak, and they lose to Iowa State, who is without a doubt the coldest team in the conference. Another team I just can't figure out right now, especially the tail end of the season. Maybe that makes them more dangerous. Maybe that makes them weaker, that you can't really find that consistency. But they're also good enough where they can beat anybody in the conference. So TCU and Baylor, to me, are 
nearly identical. Really good guard play. I think for the most part, well coached. I know I've had my criticisms of Scott Drew in the past, but the guy has won a lot. I'm not going to just deny those numbers. I'm not going to deny those stats. Baylor is still a very good team. They're a team that can win in Kansas City, without a doubt. TCU can absolutely win in Kansas City. I think there are maybe two teams in this entire conference that virtually have no shot of winning the Big 12 tournament. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think Oklahoma, for being the only team with a sub-500 record in the conference, likely isn't getting to the title game in Kansas City. And Texas Tech, boy, oh boy, have they been in the news of late. Uh, Mark Adams not going to be coaching this team. He's suspended for comments that he had made earlier this season. And I think from what I've seen on Twitter, there's going to be more reports coming out. His players aren't really happy with him. They haven't been happy with him all season long. And Texas Tech, when you look at their last two hires, yeah, they've had some bright moments. But off-field stuff, off-court stuff, it's been pretty bad when hiring Chris Beard and then also hiring Mark Adams. So Texas Tech will be without their head coach and a team that has hit the skids again. You thought they were kind of making a run for it a little bit ago, but then they finished the season with a three-game losing streak to TCU, Kansas, and Oklahoma State, all in very dramatic fashion, losing to TCU by one, Kansas by four, and Oklahoma State by three. But Kansas State gets TCU, Baylor gets Iowa State. Those are the Thursday games uh, after you have those Wednesday play-in games. And, of course, Kansas will get the winner of West Virginia and Tech, and Texas will get the winner of of Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Let's go back, though, to Saturday and what happened in the Big 12. Like we mentioned, the Iowa State-Baylor game was a bit of a shock, but let's then turn the page to Kansas State and West Virginia. Kansas State, I don't think, was ever going to hurt their seeding with a loss in Morgantown, and they eventually lost by eight points to the Mountaineers. And It's a Mountaineers team that was also favored by more than five points in the game, so not really an upset despite Kansas State being ranked 11th in the country and West Virginia losing 13 games up until that point. It's still an incredibly tough place to play. Bob Huggins is one of the better coaches in the Big 12. They're just not as much of a talented group anymore. And I thought Kansas State was going to open some eyes once again early on in the game. They jumped out on an 8-0 run. They had made their first four shots or three shots from the field. And you kind of felt like, wow, uh, this may be the hottest team rolling into the Big 12 tournament because of the way they've played after their three-game skid. They really responded well. Their defense had been fantastic. But we did find out or had word before the game that Desi Sills, one of the starters in that Kansas State starting five, would not be in attendance for the game. He was dealing with the family matter, which I believe turned out to be a funeral So you had to replace Desi Sills with a big man in your starting five and David Gasson. Maybe that hurts you defensively because you play better smaller. But Kansas State in the second half just couldn't stop West Virginia. Uh, The Mountaineers go on to score 50 points in the second half. They outscore the Cats by six after leading by two at the break. It was Eric Stevenson giving the Mountaineers 27 points. They also got 23 points from Kadrian Johnson and also another 20 from Emmett Matthews Jr. So anytime uh, three guys in the starting five drop 20 points on you, it's going to be pretty tough to overcome that. But for Kansas State, two of the all-Big 12 first-team selections, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel, were the once again bright stars in the game for Kansas State. Keontae Johnson gives the Cats 24 points on 21 shots, also gives him six boards and two assists. Marquise Noel really played well in the second half. I think I would be naive in saying he didn't cost his team in the first half. What have we always said about this Kansas State team and what makes them go? It's how well they take care of the basketball. I think that goes for every team in the Big 12 and for college basketball for that matter. But when your point guard is the one that's turning it over a lot, it's going to hurt the rhythm of your offense. Now, he is a scoring point guard, and he also dishes it out better, I think, than anybody else in the conference, maybe with the exception of Dewan Harris Jr., because he had eight assists in this game. He also had six steals and 24 points. The biggest number for me in this game, though, was Marquise Noel had six turnovers. Cam Carter had five. So of your two guards, your one and two guards, your point guard and your combo guard, they had 11 turnovers. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to win you many games in the postseason. Now, for Kansas State, I think you walk away from this season, walk away from this regular season finale feeling pretty damn good about where you're at. You're a three-seed in the Big 12 tournament. 
You're not having to play on day one, which was a common thing the last couple years under Bruce Weber. So you get a little bit more of a rest. Going into the NCAA tournament, you're likely a three seed or a four seed. That is more than what was expected this year. Hell, it wasn't expected for Kansas State to even sniff the MIT tournament. And Jerome Tang, who won Big 12 Coach of the Year over the weekend, he's shown this team can be inherently dangerous, but what always makes them go and what is the downfall of this team is what their guards do with the basketball. If their guards are turning it over left and right, K-State's going to be a lot of dogfights early on. If they go in and play TCU on Thursday and Marquise Noel has five turnovers or six turnovers, TCU's likely going to be on the winning side of that game. He's what makes this offense go 90% of the time. We want to say Keontae Johnson, who also won Big 12 Newcomer of the Year, is what makes this offense go. He is the star, and I think without a doubt Keontae Johnson is the best player on this team. But Marquise Noel sets up Keontae Johnson to be good. And even though Marquise Noel scores 24 points, has six three-pointers, shoots 50% from deep, I can't say that it was an overall A-plus performance. Thought he played really well in the second half. But he turned it over three or four times in the first 10 minutes. That allows teams to crawl back into the game, teams that are inferior to you. And Kansas State, in some of their losses, it's gotten away from them because of how Marquise Noel has taken care of the basketball. And not to say that two or three turnovers is bad. I'm not going to hold Marquise Noel to that. But you go to the game against Oklahoma. Was K-State good at taking care of the basketball on the road in Norman? They weren't. Naquan Tomlin had two turnovers. Keontae Johnson had three. Marquise Noel had four. David Gasson a turnover. Cam Carter, two. Desi Sills, a turnover. And in the end, you had 13 turnovers. Not terrible, but also Oklahoma only had 10. That was the difference in the game to me. You lose by 14 points. You go to that game against Texas Tech. It was unbelievably terrible in taking care of the basketball. Marquise Noel had seven turnovers. That cannot happen from your starting point guard. Keontae Johnson had five. Naquan Tomlin, three. Desi Sills, four. And K-State turned it over 23 times. They lose by eight in Lubbock. They turned it over 15. They likely win that game against the Red Raiders. You go to that game at home against Texas. Marquise Noel, how many turnovers? Well, he had six. Six turnovers from your starting point guard. You lose by three, you turn it over 18 times. You turn it over 13 times of the game, you likely hold on in that second half lead against Texas. Against Kansas, when you lose 90-78, to Marquise Noel, five turnovers. This really is the X factor for me for Kansas State. Overall, if you turn the ball over a lot, it's not good. Anybody can tell you that. I could sit here on the air and say the one seeds in the NCAA tournament and Houston, UCLA, Kansas, and Alabama, they have 20 turnovers in the first round or 25 turnovers. They're going to lose. They're going to be close to losing at that. Any idiot with a microphone can say turnovers are not good for the game of basketball. Turnovers aren't good for your team. But it's who the turnovers come from. You know, if you have a pair of turnovers from your small forward, well, let's say a guy like Keontae Johnson or Jalen Wilson, for that matter, they have three or four turnovers in the game. It's not good. They're not taking care of the basketball that well, but they're going to give you 20 points every single time. When it's your point guard, the guy who's getting the ball to your other four, and he's got five or six turnovers, you're not going to win many basketball games. If DeWan Harris Jr. has five or six turnovers in a game, I highly doubt Kansas is winning. I highly, highly doubt they are going to be close to winning that game. We've seen Kansas get blown out when DeWan Harris isn't a scoring factor. Could you imagine if he's an absolute negative on the floor? And that's where I go back to Marquise Noel, which he's different than DeWan Harris. Marquise Noel is going to give you 20-plus. At minimum, 12-plus. He'll give you 12 to 15 points on his worst nights. He'll give you six or seven assists. But on his worst nights, sometimes it's five or six or seven turnovers. And to me, that was the difference in the game against West Virginia. He was great offensively. I thought he was great defensively. He was great in the passing lanes. He got five or six steals. He's dishing it out. But early on in the game, when West Virginia was humming offensively, They were turning Marquise Noel over. And we've seen time and time and again this season when K-State loses 
It's not because Keontae Johnson doesn't score or because Marquise Noel doesn't score. They don't get good bench play. And I think that's been my problem all year long. I haven't been able to pinpoint, really, when K-State loses. I wanted to be more descriptive, more exact when looking at Kansas State and saying, okay, why do they lose? What are the reasons as they lose? I can't be so generic and say, well, they didn't rebound the ball well. They turned the ball over. They didn't shoot it well from the, they didn't shoot it well from the line. Well, what's the actual, very specific reason as to why they don't win those games? And when I go back to every single loss they've had, more often than not, it's because Marquise Noel is the one that's turning it over more so than anybody else. He is also a damn good player, as we mentioned. He is a first-team All-Big 12 guy. K-State was the only team in the conference with more than one guy in the All-Big 12 team. The first team, that is. You get Keontae Johnson and Marquise Newell. So nobody's denying that he's a fantastic player. But if I'm going to make a prediction on Kansas State as to what you can look for in games in Kansas City and then also in Des Moines when they go into the NCAA tournament, it's going to be how did Marquise Noel take care of the basketball? If you don't watch a single game of Kansas State for the rest of the year, you just call box scores, and you see if Kansas State wins or loses, I strongly encourage you, if Kansas State wins on Thursday against TCU, go look at the box score. See how many turnovers Marquise Noel had. If they lose, do the exact same thing. If K-State's eliminated in the first round of the NCAA tournament, go look at that stat. If they move on to the Sweet 16, you know who the star player is going to be? It ain't going to be Keontae Johnson, and it's going to be Marquise Newell. He is what is everything to Jerome Tang and this team. He is what makes the team go. Keontae Johnson's the star, but they're not going anywhere without Marquise Newell. They're not going anywhere if Marquise Newell hits a slump in postseason play. And when I mean hit the slump, I mean being sloppy with the basketball. Even in his slumps, he scores. That's the thing with Marquise Newell. And I think with Kansas, if you want to compare the two schools, Kansas has been at its worst this year when Jalen Wilson has hit a hot streak. You know, that's kind of the difference, I think, with these two teams. Jalen Wilson, the unanimous Big 12 player of the year, when he's played his best basketball of the year, Kansas has struggled. They haven't been good. They had their three-game losing streak. When they lost to Texas on Saturday, which we'll get into here shortly, he was great. Everybody else was terrible. But for this Kansas State team, what I saw on Saturday, and it wasn't a game that was a dire must-win situation. I think Kansas State is pretty comfortable with a three or a four seed. It would have been great to get a two seed. They'll likely need to win the Big 12 tournament to get that two seed now. But it was not a bad loss by any means. But it also just cemented the fact that when your point guard is sloppy with the basketball, it doesn't matter how much your star scores. It doesn't matter what your bench gives you. It doesn't matter what your point guard gives you. You're going to more often than not lose that basketball game, and they did on Saturday to West Virginia, 89-81. to Kansas State finishes the regular season at 23-8. and They will look to bounce back on Thursday in Kansas City in the Big 12 tournament. They will get TCU, who finished right behind them in the conference, just two spots back right behind Baylor. As for the Kansas Jayhawks, if you wanted to pick a game in which they had looked more disinterested, you'd have a hard time finding it. I don't remember seeing a Kansas team look more disinterested in the basketball game than I did on Saturday. And I can't really say it's coaching. I can't really blame the players because the only thing they would have gained on Saturday, it's a big deal too, but the only thing they would have gained was locking in for a fact. They would have locked in the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Joe Lunardi said that. Multiple analysts were saying that. I think most of college basketball believed if Kansas won the damn conference by three games, swept Texas, who would have finished second or third, and split with the other teams that were near the top in Baylor and Kansas State, yeah, Kansas would have been the number one overall seed in the Midwest region, number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. But Texas, despite having, I would say, a little bit more to play for, they really showed it. Kansas slept walk through that game, and it wasn't an early tip-off. That concerns me with the Big 12 and the NCAA tournament. If you get an 11 a.m. or 1, 1 p.m. tip, maybe Kansas comes out a little bit sluggish. No excuse on Saturday. It was a 3 p.m. tip, and Kansas was disinterested from start to finish. They didn't start hot. They never had a run. They didn't shoot it well from deep. Guys were timid. And once again, this is the same thing we've seen in Kansas's really bad performances this year. Jalen Wilson scores all the points. Everybody else stands around and watches. 
Jalen Wilson gives Kansas 23 points and 10 boards. He was 7 of 18 from the field. The next highest score was K.J. Adams with 9. Dewan Harris was 2 of 12 from the field. Grady Dick only took 5 shots, and those 5 shots were all from 3-point range. Kevin McCuller was 3 of 8, also turned it over 4 times. Joseph Yesfu was 1 of 5 from deep. You got nothing from your bigs off the bench. It was about as bad of a performance as you could have. You lose to Texas 75-59. to You still had the number one overall spot in the Big 12 tournament. Nobody was going to deny that, and that maybe is what we can chalk it up to. Kansas just simply realized in the back of their minds they didn't have much to play for. And it wasn't going to rule it out that they could still get the number one overall seed. And I think that's what we have to factor in here. These are 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. The coach can scream at you all the live long day and say, this matters, this is important. But all those guys have social media. All those guys watch ESPN. They know what's going on. And I don't want to pigeonhole them and saying they didn't care about this game. But, I mean, if I was a player, I'd be saying, you know, I really want to win this game. And I think they're going to still have the same intensity. But in the back of your mind, it's not a must-win, claw-to-the-death type of win. I think most fans, if you're a KU fan, went in that game and said, it's more of a bonus if you win in Austin. A loss is not hurting you by any means. Losing on the road to a top-10 team in the Big 12, the toughest conference in college basketball, is not hurting your seed. The only thing it does now is is maybe not absolutely lock in the number one seed in the Midwest region. Now it's likely dependent on what happens in the conference tournaments. Houston has to go win, and I think the American, and I think KU's got to win the Big 12. If not, KU's got to at least get to the championship game. you got to win two games in Kansas City. you got to beat either West Virginia or Texas Tech. Then you likely got to beat Baylor or Iowa State. You get to the championship game, you get a Texas or Kansas State, you lose that game. I mean, I'd say it's probably 50-50 at that point. You get the number one seed in the Midwest region. You win it all, though. You're absolutely getting the number one overall seed and the one seed in the Midwest. If Houston loses at any point, then yeah, you're still going to be the number one seed in the Midwest. And I think that was going through the minds of the players. I mean, they're all human. That's the thing here. We always want to say... It's blinders on, you're looking ahead, you're looking at the opponent in front of you, you're not worried about other things happening. I think those players knew on the floor they were at a two-game lead in the Big 12 Conference, they could win the conference by three, that was the motivation. But as for Texas, their motivation was, we could be a two-seed in Kansas City, or we could be a three or a four. There was a lot to play for. They wanted to go into Kansas City with a big-time momentum-swinging win, and they got one against this Kansas team. But why it shouldn't worry you one bit is because we've seen Kansas lose, I believe, six games this year. I believe on Saturday that was the sixth loss. Yes, Kansas finishes 25-6 and six on the year. They have not had a bad loss at all of those six. That is surprisingly a shocking fact when looking back at the last couple of Kansas teams. I think every Kansas team the last eight to ten years has had at least one bad loss in the regular season. I cannot look at any of these games and really chalk it up as a bad loss. And we've said this on the show before, but I think it's important to point it back out going into the Big 12 tournament. Kansas lost to Tennessee in non-con. Tennessee's a top 25 team. You lost to Kansas State and Manhattan. K-State finished third in the Big 12. You lost to TCU at home. TCU won 20 games. That may be... That may be the worst loss you had because of the margin of defeat. You lose by 23, but it was a TCU team at full strength. And TCU at full strength was projected to be top four in the Big 12. Then you lose to Baylor and Waco. Baylor won 22 games this year, top half of the Big 12. You lose to Iowa State and Hilton Coliseum. Maybe you want to say that's the worst loss because you scored 53 points and lost by 15. I still think, to me, though, that Iowa State team in Hilton Coliseum is just different. They're tougher to beat. It's one of the more hostile environments in the Big 12. And then you lose in Austin to Texas, who finished second in the Big 12. That, there's no bad loss of the six. The surprising thing this time is that of those six losses, I mean, you were blown out against Texas, you were blown out against Iowa State, you were blown out against TCU, and you were blown out against Tennessee. Four of your six were blowouts. And I just think that's because this Kansas team, when they're down like that, when they're not scoring the ball well, it kind of can be a mailed-in type of thing. And I think on Saturday, it was mailed-in after the 12-minute mark of the second half. Once Texas continued to respond every time Kansas had a run, 
you knew that it was, okay, let's just chalk it up, move on, let's go to Kansas City. And that's what you really can say about this Kansas team. It was ugly. It was a pathetic performance. Guys weren't really ready to go, it looked like. Texas wanted it far more. Texas had more to play for. You just chalk it up and go, you know what, let's move on to Kansas City. And that's the thing, too. Kansas hasn't been that good at the last game of the regular season in the last six years. I believe they're 1-5 in in regular season finales over the last six years. It just sometimes doesn't mean that much because they've already locked up the Big 12. They've locked up a number one seed. There's not a ton to play for. It was only a bonus on Saturday for Kansas, and I think it showed a little bit. If it was a different scenario, right, if Kansas and Texas were tied up going into that game, or if Texas would have beaten TCU, right, Kansas would have had to win on Saturday to win the conference outright. That is something to play for. I think we would have seen Kansas play with a lot more intensity if that was on the line. If they lost, it wasn't really going to hurt them that much. In fact, I think Kansas still has the number one seed in the Midwest region. We'll see what Joe Lunardi says this morning and how the AP Top 25 falls, but I don't think Kansas is going to fall out of that top spot. Maybe Houston jumps back in the number one seed in the Midwest region. I highly doubt it, though. They run the ropes with Memphis, and maybe that means Houston could be upset in the American tournament. If Kansas doesn't lose in the Big 12 tournament, it doesn't matter what Houston does. They will get the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. And, of course, what's more important is that number one seed in the Midwest region, which will put them in Des Moines and then Kansas City. All right, we'll take our first break of the show after recapping everything in the Big 12. We'll have a lot of college basketball talk all week long, leading you up to the Big 12 tournament that begins on Wednesday night. Again, I will be broadcasting down there from 8 to 10 at the Power and Light District on Wednesday night, and then again on Saturday from 10 to 12. But when we come back, some NFL news. A former AFC West quarterback is on the move. We'll tell you where he's going next and what that means for the rest of free agency with those quarterbacks. On the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Well, one of the first quarterbacks to fall in free agency is former Raider quarterback Derek Carr, who per Mike Garofolo and Ian Rappaport is headed to the New Orleans Saints on a four-year deal. You want to know why this is fantastic for New Orleans. You look at the NFC South right now. I think New Orleans went from the third best team in that division, maybe second, to now clearly I think the front runner to win the NFC South. And Derek Carr is not a world beater. He's not. He's a very serviceable quarterback. And if we're being quite honest, he was in an incredibly tough division for a large part of his career. I think Derek Carr also had to deal with a lot of organizational dysfunction. And that affects a lot of quarterbacks. Look at Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford had organizational dysfunction in Detroit for years. He goes one year out of Detroit, goes to to L.A. with the Rams, and he wins a Super Bowl. Organizational dysfunction can make or break a quarterback, and Derek Carr for his entire career has had organizational dysfunction. Think about how many head coaches he's had, even the last couple of years. You know, there's John Gruden. There's Jack Del Rio. Now you have an interim head coach in Rich Bisaccia. Then you have Josh McDaniels. That's all in the span of like a couple of years, at least with three of those guys. Hell, in the last year, Derek Carr's had Rich Bisaccia, John Gruden, and Josh McDaniels. And every single one of those guys on any given Sunday was considered to be on the hot seat. Right, John Gruden was at one point. Rich Bisaccia was a interim head coach. You can't really say that he was due for an extension or wasn't the hot seat. He was going to finish out that season regardless. But he knew likely Rich Bisaccia was not going to be his, co- or his head coach the next year. And it turned out to be true because here comes Josh McDaniels. And Josh McDaniels made it halfway through the year. And then he was on the hot seat. That's organizational dysfunction. Derek Carr has always had it. Now he's going to be working 
with a guy that I believe he's been working with before in Dennis Allen, who's the head coach in New Orleans, and I want to say he spent time with the Raiders before that. But Dennis Allen had spent a lot of time in New Orleans. It wasn't a very successful year one. But at the end of the day, it's all about who you can get as your quarterback in the NFC South. That, to me, has always been the difference. Look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this past year. They were an awful, god-awful, terrible football team. But because they had the best quarterback in Tom Brady, they won the division. Now you go to the NFC South. Can you even name me with certainty who the quarterback's going to be for the other three teams. Like right now, we all understand the fact that Derek Carr is going to be the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. On a four-year deal, he's going to be there the next couple of years, and I think it's going to probably be pretty successful. I think it's a great landing spot for a guy like Derek Carr. He gets to play in a dome again, not a big change from Las Vegas. Yeah, he doesn't have the same weapons as he did in Las Vegas, but he's also not going up against Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert twice a year. That's three or four losses every single year, which means you have to be pretty damn good the rest of the regular season. But in the NFC South, who can you say with certainty is going to be the quarterback of those other three teams? In Carolina, who's it going to be? Is there going to be a rookie quarterback? Are they going to trade up in the draft? Or is it going to be Sam Darnold? In Tampa Bay, what are they going to do with their quarterback situation? Do we really believe it's going to be Kyle Trask? Like all the coaches and front office members are telling you it's going to be Hell no. It's not going to be Kyle Trask. It's not going to be Blaine Gabbert. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to go out and get somebody like a Jimmy Garoppolo. So let's say, hypothetically, Jimmy Garoppolo goes to the Buccaneers. Let's say of Carolina, they stick with Sam Darnold. And then with Atlanta, right, are they going to go with Desmond Ritter? They just cut Marcus Mariota. So you have Desmond Ritter there in Atlanta. You just used a, a draft pick on him last year be kind of stupid to just bench him again when there's no quarterback ahead of him. So of those quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, Sam Darnold, Desmond Ritter, Derek Carr. Who are you taking? I'm taking Derek Carr nine times out of ten. I think New Orleans has the chance to win this division now by at least two games. And I'm somebody that has criticized Derek Carr before. I think everybody has criticized Derek Carr before. But it's because... He was in what has been considered to be a laughingstock organization for a long, long time. And I'm not just saying that because we are ESPN Kansas City and the arch rival of the Chiefs is the Las Vegas Raiders. That's not the case. But you look at the Raiders the last decade. They've been a laughingstock. They've made head-scratching, head-coaching decisions. They've had debacles in the draft. They've made completely erratic free agent sightings. It's been a complete mess for the last decade. And because Derek Carr was the quarterback there, he takes the brunt of it a lot of the times. When they struggle, you point to the coach and you point to the quarterback. It doesn't matter how bad the defense is. It doesn't matter how bad the offensive line is. It doesn't matter how many limited weapons you have. It's quarterback play. It's coaching. That's the way it has been. That's the way it's always going to be. When you have dysfunction in an organization, you'll get those two spots. And you say, can we improve those spots? And for years, Derek Carr was the constant, and he had a rotating head coach every single year. It was like a merry-go-round. Just a new guy every other year. And that is really hard to build a successful team when you're dealing with a different philosophy time and time again. Think about when you work in the office. If you had a new boss every single year that did things differently, How successful or how much money would your company make? I mean, maybe you find the right guy, but let's break this down. If you're having a new boss every single year, that means that boss is not very good. So you're having these new changes, these new philosophies. As an employer, you can't really do your job to the best of your capability because you may spend one year trying to do things a certain way, then a new boss comes in and says, no, we're going to do things this way. And Derek Carr, for his entire career, has had to deal with that. He's had to deal with different schemes, different players, different philosophies. And you know what? He has always been true and true. He's been brutally honest. He's mentioned how much he wants to be there. He he said that he you know bleeds silver and black. He wanted to stay a Raider. He would have retired a Raider. He was very emotional about being a Raider. He played college football at Fresno State. 
And I think it meant a lot to him to turn around a Raiders team that had been the doormat of the AFC West for a decade. I mean, an absolute laughingstock. But you know what? I think at times you can take off your bias lens and look at a guy like Derek Carr, who I think in Kansas City a lot of people mocked but because he had a little bit of that cheesiness to him. He had that Russell Wilson cheesiness at times. But he also was a guy that was very human. And think about it. When you grew up your entire life in that area, probably growing up being a Raiders fan, went to play Fresno State, had your college teammate Devontae Adams join you last year, and it never works out, you could understand the emotion behind it. He wanted more than anything to be the hometown kid that brought his team to relevancy to win the AFC West, to get to an AFC title game, and get to a Super Bowl and win it. That's never going to happen. That never was going to happen as long as he stayed with the Raiders because it's an incredibly hard organization to turn around when there's that much dysfunction. Think about how many draft picks completely busted in the era of Derek Carr. Not saying it's going to be that much better in New Orleans. He's got a hell of a much better chance, though. He's got a completely different scenario now, completely different situation, and that's good for Derek Carr. I can root for Derek Carr knowing that New Orleans is getting a guy that deserves that chance. It's why everybody rooted for Matt Stafford. Now, Matt Stafford was a little bit more quiet, more reserved. He wasn't always in the media. Everybody marveled at his talent, his arm talent in Detroit, but he was quiet. He was injured a lot, and Derek Carr, he was more outspoken. He played for more of a national brand like the Raiders and the Lions were. You know, people could take into account what the Raiders were doing, whether they were good or bad every single year. And Derek Carr was the face of that. But if you weren't a Chiefs fan or you weren't a Broncos fan or you weren't a Chargers fan, I think a lot of the NFL rooted for Derek Carr because it was a cool story. Hometown kid, played college ball not far from Oakland, and then got his chance at the Raiders. And it didn't work out. They were not successful at all in that era. Now he gets a new era. He gets a breath of fresh air in New Orleans, and I think one of the best football cities in the NFL. I mean, New Orleans, when they are good, that is a tough place to run through. And I think New Orleans right now should be the betting favorite to win the NFC South. Not because they're going to go out there and win 11 or 12 games, but because they need nine to win the damn division. Hell, with the way the quarterbacks are shaping out in that division— I think he needs seven or eight. And I think Derek Carr is definitely better than a seven-win quarterback in the NFL. And with some of the weapons that he has, I think an okay defense, it really comes down to who the NFC South gets as their quarterback. I don't think they're going to make that many moves, though. They have not been rumored to be interested in a guy like Aaron Rodgers. I think Atlanta has been interested or linked to a guy like Lamar Jackson. I just have my doubts that Baltimore is going to let him walk. That's a franchise quarterback. You give your franchise quarterback franchise money. So if Atlanta doesn't get Lamar Jackson, you're looking at Desmond Ritter, Sam Darnold, and right now, because I did make that hypothetical with Jimmy Garoppolo, it is Kyle Trask or Blaine Gabbert. Those are three of the worst teams in the NFL. And New Orleans just got the best quarterback in the division. And now a four-year deal for a guy like Derek Carr. I like it for New Orleans. Now you're going to be moving on from Jameis Winston, who was already reported by it was already reported by Adam Schefter that he would be uh, getting the cut here in the offseason, a, sal- a salary cap casualty, uh, because New Orleans could move on and save over four million against the salary cap, but it would take on eleven point two million in dead money. A post June one cut would save twelve point eight million, but no savings until then. I think this is how New Orleans is going to roll a little bit, though, the next couple of years. I mean, not really the next couple of years because Derek Carr will be on a four-year deal. Who knows if he stays there all four years. But I think that's how New Orleans is going to build their roster. You know, kind of the way Indianapolis has tried to. You have stopgap guys. I think Derek Carr on the wrong side of 30 is a little bit of a longer-term stopgap guy. But I don't think New Orleans is ever going to tear it all down and rebuild. Because when you're in a weak division, you don't need to do that. You go out and get one free agent, a good quarterback, you luckily can win that division and give yourself a puncher's chance in the NFC. But Derek Carr has now found a new home as he is headed to the New Orleans Saints on a four-year deal per Mike Garofolo and Ian Rappaport, Rappaport. excuse me. And now the only big domino to fall, I would say, maybe if you want to add in Lamar Jackson or if you really believe he's going elsewhere, but the other big domino to fall would be Aaron Rodgers and where he is going to play football next year. Will it be Green Bay or will the Jets go all in to bring in a for-sure future Hall of Famer 
and Aaron Rodgers. I guess we'll have to wait and see to find out. But Marco, on the topic of Derek Carr, right, I feel like this is a really good fit for a guy like him. It's not maybe the pressure, and this is surprising to say, I think there's a lot of pressure in Vegas to turn the Raiders around. Big money, big city, relocation. They used to be a damn good, very respectable franchise have been a laughing stock for the last decade. Now he gets out of all those distractions. Now he gets out of the organizational dysfunction. I think New Orleans has a lot more organizational structure than the Raiders have ever had. I think it's a really good fit for Derek Carr. I see it working out here. What do you think about this move, though? Does it work out for Derek Carr? Is it going to be better or worse than it is in Vegas? How are these next four years going to turn out for the former Fresno State quarterback? Um, I think it's going to go better for him. Uh, although coaching situation down there in New Orleans is still kind of iffy and messy, but possibly more stable than what he's gone through in Las Vegas and Oakland. Um, uh, I like this move for Derek Carr. It makes sense, uh, for him. He's gonna, he's going to a, uh, Weaker division uh, in the NFC South, like you've pointed out. He gets to play indoors like he has been since the Raiders moved to Vegas. And he's going into an organization who I believe is not carrying a lot of money currently on payroll. I want to double-check that really quick, though. But So I was going through uh, just analytical stuff, and... There is really no other quarterback right now who's playing that has been more consistent than Derek Carr. Uh, you really know what you're going to be getting from him. Uh, if you go and look at his at the EPA chart um, for for Carr, you'll see that it's been pretty uh, linear. There's some things where it takes a dip, of course, um, and that's just part of. Every quarterback has a da- every quarterbacks players have down years. So uh, I think for him, this is kind of I think this obviously is now into the later part of his career, where I think he just wants to have as much success as possible before he does retire. And although the details of the, of the contract haven't came out yet, and how much he'll get paid. Um, it's still he's going to have more than enough to enjoy retirement post-NFL. But um, I think that getting out of that contract with Las Vegas and leaving $41 million of guaranteed money on the table is a sign that, you know, I don't think money is a matter to him. Now he wants to put – he's already he's, – he's put enough in the bank. Now it's a matter of putting more onto that NFL resume – uh, when it's all said and done, I don't think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I don't think there's enough that he can do to become a Hall of Fame quarterback. But still, there's goals that you have as an individual that you want to hit, and I think that's where we're. I think that's where Derek Carr is at in his career. It's where it's it's doing those. It's doing what makes him happy, having that peace of mind while fulfilling those uh, achievements that he wants to have before retiring. Uh, retiring, and so. There isn't as much drama down there in New Orleans. Uh, the intention isn't on them as much as it was during when Sean Payton was there, and you had Drew Brees quarterbacking the team. But you know he's been he's been kind of he's, he's been the center of attention on an organization that's had a lot of uh, a lot of bad uh, PR um, around them, especially these last couple of years. In fact, you you and I went over th- th- that stuff. Um, this last week, when we talked about uh, what happened down in Athens, Georgia, um, kind of the, we we went we went back and talked about things that have surrounded Las Vegas, um, just bad, 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 uh, bad apples that got drafted into the organization, and of course, Brett, bad apples that were hired into uh, Las Vegas as well that were supposed to be leaders and big parts of that rebuild, and so Derek Carr was. A part was 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 the guy, and then he was a part of a rebuild that was supposed to be better than what the results were. And so, I I think for him and for the Saints, this is a good move all all around. And um, the first quarterback off in free as far as free agent free agency and trade market, right? There's we were, we went into this off season with a bunch of quarterbacks in a carousel, and I believe he's one of the first gems, I guess you could say, or one of the be- one of the th- better. Uh, better the pickings. So, 
I don't think I don't think you can pay if you're the Saints. I don't think there's a there, there's a way where you can pay him too much or um, I don't know too much. I'll say in this case because you need a quarterback on your roster. You need a quarterback in the NFL. Um, it's a, the most important position. And now you went from uh, honestly they had the better quarterback situation probably in Jameis Winston before. Uh, making this making this signing a Derek Carr, but uh, either way, definitely now get, have the better better quarterback in the division. Um, now it's up to the other three teams see how they go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think right now in the most recent mock draft, they have Carolina taking Will Levis out of Kentucky with the ninth overall pick. I don't know if Will Levis will fall that far. I think it matters if Anthony Richardson moves up in the draft or if they take, of course, C.J. Stroud, fourth overall pick, like a team like Indianapolis, I think Bryce Young goes top two. A lot of guys that will be maybe falling in the draft because there's a lot of top edge rushers as well. Maybe a quarterback falls in the lap of Carolina, but right now, actually, per Adam Schefter, he has Matt Corral as the number one quarterback in Carolina going to the air. Kyle Trask for Tampa Bay and Desmond Ritter for Atlanta. Derek Carr by far and away, even if it is a rookie quarterback going to Carolina or Atlanta, it doesn't matter because right now Derek Carr has the most experience. He's also shown at the NFL level he can be a very good quarterback. I think if you're the Saints too, I mean, I don't think any team out of that division is going to win the Super Bowl, nonetheless make a conference championship. But you now have a quarterback that is uh, that that will. I mean, there will be teams out there possibly wanting to trade for him if they're in a type of situation where win now they have the roster now they just need someone to implement in there. I want to say, too, Raiders never finished above 20, uh, 20th in the league in uh, scoring defense. Uh, and so that's another thing. Uh, Saints ranked 14th this last year. So going to a better having a better de- going to be a part of a better defensive team as well. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to what this team can be built around with Derek Carr with how far New Orleans could go in the postseason. But as for right now, I think winning the division would be step one, and that is more than attainable now that New Orleans Saints have Derek Carr on a four-year deal. Before we get into some fact or fiction, just get into some college basketball news that broke last night involving the Texas Tech program. We touched on it a little bit in the opening segment, but uh, it's not a good look. I'll tell you that. There's a couple of insensitive things that Mark Adams had to say. I know people are going to have different uh, differing opinions on it, but you know, Mark Adams is a guy that comes across as is very reserved, very quiet, not very animated. He's a former boxer. I think he was a great story last year. He took over Texas Tech after Chris Beard basically shafted Texas Tech and went on to Texas and Arch Rival School. Went to go coach his alum or his his program, you know, where he graduated school from. He's alumni of Texas, so you can't really fault Chris Beard for doing that. But in the way he did it, I think everybody was rooting for a guy like Mark Adams. He was an assistant for years at Texas Tech, got his chance, and Texas Tech was very good last year. This year, a lot different story. But again, it just doesn't feel like it's going to be a situation in which he survives it. Uh, There is one saying in which it can go a couple of different ways. Mark Adams believes he was quoting the stricture, scripture excuse me, from the Bible. You know, That's the route he's going to take because he basically said for, for quoting this type of uh, saying that he had, he said there's always a master and a servant. People are taking it that it's more racial than from the Bible, something like that. Mark Adams believes that you know it was just from the scripture. He said, quote, I was quoting the scripture, but Adams told the stadium, right now I'm trying to pull up the article, but it has an error on my screen, so I'll have to kind of roll with the punches here. But Mark Adams not only said that, saying there's always a master and a servant, he had an incident where apparently he was spitting on players and said, quote, I can spit on you whenever I want. One person close to the situation said Adams responded to a player. And Adams recalls not saying anything along those lines. So with the quote-unquote scripture slash racially insensitive thing he said to the player or his players at that, there's also a spitting incident in which he told a player from someone close to the situation that he can spit on them whenever he wants. I find a hard time in imagining a scenario in which Mark Adams gets out of this. He's suspended right now. He's suspended indefinitely. He will not coach likely in the Big 12 tournament unless Texas Tech wins the damn thing. I don't think he's going to be returning for the NCAA tournament. But Jeff Goodman also tweeted this out. He said, one source in the Texas Tech program to the stadium, I'd be shocked if Mark Adams coaches another game in Lubbock. Most of the players don't want to play for him. When there's a fracture within the team, they don't want to play for the coach, it's a no-brainer at that point. 
It's a lot different if a coach is involved in something off the court, but the players all love him, the boosters love him, the fan base loves him. Now you're kind of approaching a difficult scenario. What can you do? You cut ties with the coach, it's going to be responded to poorly by the coaches, the boosters, the fan base. I'm not sure if this story comes out how many people at Texas Tech want Mark Adams still to be there. Now, you can have a couple different opinions on what he meant by the master and the servant quote. Maybe you believe it's from the scripture and you want to say that's exactly what he's intending to. Maybe you want to take the other side and say that's racially insensitive. Or you want to go a little bit in the middle and say, hey, I don't think he's trying to be racist, but he's got to know that that can be insensitive. That can come off insensitive, and a player could take that the wrong way. That's why it's a story today. I'm more so looking at this spitting incident, too, because the spitting incident, that's uncalled for. There's no excuse in which you can spit on a player. That alone should get a coach fired. I think to say you can spit on them and say, I'll spit on you whenever I want to, because a college coach should never treat uh, a player, one of their student-athletes, like dirt. I mean, come on now. I think it's a no-brainer if these players want him out and the boosters want him out and the fan base want him out, his ass should be gone because you can't really come up for an excuse for having your words twisted. And the excuse of, I don't remember saying that, it's not believable one bit. I don't think Mark Adams coaches another game at the University of Texas Tech. Bad, bad look and a bad, bad season for the Red Raiders. Before we wrap up the show, let's get into some Factor Fiction. Five questions, five takes in under five minutes. Marco Fireway. Jack, Factor Fiction, KU and K-State win their first round games in Kansas City. I think Kansas will move on to the semifinals because I think they'll be able to handle West Virginia or Texas Tech in a round three scenario. I'm very torn right now on Kansas State and TCU. Because of what I saw the first time around when TCU had a fully healthy team, they completely dominated Kansas State and Fort Worth. Then Kansas State dominated TCU without a healthy TCU team. But then in this most recent game, TCU gets blasted by Oklahoma and Kansas State doesn't play that well against West Virginia. It's kind of a toss-up. And since it's a toss-up, I don't know if I can gamble and say both teams win. So I'll go fiction for right now. I don't think both these teams advance after the first round. Fact or fiction, Derek Carr wins a division with the Saints. Yeah, fact. Unless those other three teams go out and get a guy like Lamar Jackson, there's no quarterback that comes close to competing with Derek Carr. It sounds weird to say, but trust me, the NFC South is going to be by far and away one of the worst divisions we've ever seen in the NFL next year. KU needs to win the Big 12 to get the number one seed in the Midwest. I think fact. Uh, I think if they lose one more game, I think Houston will win the American tournament. That means Kansas is going to have to win the Big 12 tournament, which is going to be a lot easier said than done. But, yeah, absolutely. I think they do have to win the Big 12 tournament to get that number one spot in the Midwest. Mizzou reaches the semifinals. They get the double bye. Great season for Mizzou. Great season for Dennis Gates, who's not getting enough popularity right now. I think he's done just as good of what Jerome Tang has done at Kansas State. He got an entire new roster. They've played well in the SEC. I think the only difference is Jerome Tang coaches in a much difficult conference, much more difficult conference. But I do think that Missouri, I think they win one game. Would that put them in the semifinals? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to go fact. I think Missouri does get to the semifinals in the SEC tournament. Japan wins a WBC. They've won the first two WBCs. They won in 06 and 09. Then Dominican Republic won in 13. U.S. won in 17. DR and U.S. are loaded this year. I love the pitching staff of the Japan team. They'll play tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., but I'm going to go fiction. I do not think they win their third title in the last I guess that'd be six WBC titles. I think it'll go to the DR or the U.S. There is Ray Charles. So it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City.